You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to the Heart Sounds podcast for April 2022. April. I am still trying to figure out what happened to 2021. I feel like it whipped past me like a streaker at a football game. I mean, it happened, but I don't have much to show for it except for a bunch of blurry photos. As if I've even been to a football game, I've scarcely left the house. This month, I did leave the house, however. I did find my passport, which happily was still valid. Then I got on a plane and flew to Washington, D.C. for the American College of Cardiology meeting. Not only that, but I saw my colleagues here at TCTMD for the first time in nearly two and a half years, and it was totally overwhelming, and then, a few minutes later, totally normal. Typically on this podcast, you get to hear about some of the work my team has done in the weeks gone by while writing about all things cardiology. This month, I will zero in on some of the top news from the ACC meeting. To help me with that, I called up Pamela Morris of the Medical University of South Carolina, who was also the chair of this year's ACC annual scientific session, to hear about her highlights from ACC 2022. Let's jump right in. You have had a few weeks to recover now from the American College of Cardiology sessions. How are you feeling about it? Have you managed to get some rest? I definitely have managed to get caught up a little bit on some of the rest and and other activities that were kind of put on hold while we were going through with the planning. But I I will say there was so much joy and enthusiasm uh, about being back together in person. I have to admit it even exceeded my expectations and the uh, ACC's expectations, I think. We knew that there was remarkable value in in in-person education, Uh, but what the, the strong registration, the strong attendance really confirmed for us how much our members, uh, our meeting participants and our industry partners really value that in-person education, the networking, the opportunities for collaboration. So um, I've come down a little bit off of that, uh, that high in the meantime, but it really was a wonderful event. Yeah, I really felt because that was the first time I'd traveled to any meeting since the start of the pandemic, really since 2019, I think. And we'd almost got in the habit of the hybrid version, or in, in my case, the fully virtual news coverage. And it was quite emotional seeing people again in person, even people I would say that I don't particularly know well, but that I've been seeing at these meetings for, you know, going on two decades and to see them in person again and, you know, see them looking healthy and well, that was quite emotional in addition to just the excitement of of the meeting environment for sure. You know, I do think it really gave people a new sense of appreciation for what it means to be able to be in person with your colleagues. And much like many relationships, I think absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, Everyone was just so excited. You know, I've heard a, a number of people have reported to me 
things that have happened as a part of being in person again, individuals reaching out for, as someone told me yesterday that they met someone at the meeting in person having coffee and were then extended an invitation to be one of the key sites for an upcoming investigation. And he said, you know, this would probably have never happened had I not happened to sit down to coffee with him or opportunities for particularly our early career and young faculty to be actually in the physical presence of some of their mentors uh, and expert, you know, key opinion leaders was really incredibly valued um, for them. Yeah, I could see that with my own eyes. Let's jump into some of the science. I'm sure you've you've brought some of it home to your practice. If you can cast your mind back, what were some of the most exciting, perhaps late breakers or even smaller sessions? Can we focus on some of those? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So, you know, I'll just pick a, a few of the highlights. The you know, I think first starting really with the opening session, the, the two that really stick out in my mind are uh, the uh, CHAP trial yeah. of uh, control of hypertension in pregnancy. And I think that was a particularly important trial because it really gave us a definitive finding on something that was more theoretical before, you know, we've always, we've always allowed a little permissive hypertension in pregnancy, as have our OBGYN colleagues, in that there was the perception that a little higher blood pressure would result in better perfusion to the fetus or whatever. And this trial clearly indicated that there are no safety concerns with improved control of blood pressure to less than 140 over 90. And in fact, there definitely were advantages in terms of preeclampsia and preterm birth, et cetera. So I think that trial will definitely be practice changing. Uh, the, the difficulty with that one is going to be socializing that. This was an important trial in pregnant women presented at a cardiology meeting. So yeah. it'll be very important for us to socialize that and spread that important knowledge uh, and share with our OB colleagues as well. Another one in the opening session I think was really important was the Valor HCM trial for patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, a medication that demonstrated clinical benefit and a delay to more uh, invasive or interventional strategies for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So I know um, our patients are certainly going to be uh, grateful for that trial as well. When we think about some of the others, you know, I'm a prevention enthusiast. And so there was a new agent that was presented for treating patients with having who have elevated lipoprotein little a, a particularly atherogenic pro inflammatory, uh, pro uh, Prothrombotic uh, medicate uh, prothrombotic lipoprotein, and there this was a, an early trial that demonstrated safety and uh, dramatic efficacy for a small interfering RNA to yeah. the the A protein. So that was the Apollo study that I think is very important. I think yeah. two other studies I just wanted to mention for the fact that they did not demonstrate benefit, which I also think is important for us as clinicians and scientists is to sometimes think, recognize that strategies that we think may be effective 
may not always be effective. And a good example of that was the Translate Timmy 70 trial of Vupinorsin for reducing yeah. HDL cholesterol. And unfortunately it did reduce HDL cholesterol. So it did meet its primary endpoint, but the safety endpoints were really too high to continue to pursue that as a likely therapeutic agent. The other one was diltiazem in patients who had coronary vasomotor dysfunction or coronary vasospasm. So we've been using that for symptomatic relief for a number of years, assuming that it would relax, reduce vasospasm. And interestingly, it did seem to have a, a little bit of a benefit in terms of reducing epicardial coronary vasospasm, but it really had no, it was not a benefit in terms of symptomatic relief or uh, functional, uh, functional issues in quality of life. Yeah. So really demonstrating the importance of randomized controlled trials. Yeah, to get that evidence. You know, when you said you were going to mention two trials that might tell you what not to do, I actually wondered if you were going to go to sodium HF, because that was one that didn't deliver, I think, what a lot of people expected, but has led to a lot of discussion about, you know, how much advice for sodium restriction is, is warranted. Any thoughts on that one? What did you take away from it? Well, that one's going to be tough. You know, there was a modest difference in sodium between the two groups. And it, but it did not demonstrate a, a clinical benefit. I think I've asked most of my heart failure colleagues how that will change their practice. I think all have said that in terms of for decongestion and for symptomatic relief, they may, may continue to advise lower sodium diets, but they're likely not to prescribe the very, very low sodium diets that may have previously been more customary. Yeah, I went and took a peek at our stats to see what sort of stories have had the most traffic from our news coverage of ACC and, and you're definitely touching on many of the same ones. I will ask you briefly about the heart failure guidelines because there was a session to launch those. We don't need to go into detail on those. I mean, people have a 160 page document they can read, but I myself tried to get into that session and I could not get in. I couldn't get into the overflow room. And to me, that just sort of spoke to people's excitement to get getting back to guidelines coming out sort of in person and getting to hear from some of the people that pulled those together. But are you seeing any kind of impact or discussion, the long tail from that? Oh yeah, I think absolutely. I think the two, the two take-home messages I think are really the improved refinement of the categories of heart failure. And second of all, really the important emphasis on the quadruple therapy, which I think will move more people to implement all four categories of medication, the, secu the secubitril valsartan, the uh, mineralocorticoids, uh, as well as the ACE or ARBs, and the SGLT2 inhibitors and, and beta blockers. So I think we're gonna see a really a renewed enthusiasm for that four agent approach to therapy. And I do wish that we could time the release of uh, guidelines more carefully with the annual meeting, but guidelines come out so regularly and uh, so strategically that it's really difficult to time them with the annual meeting. But you can see when they are timed with release, they are really, really well received. 
Absolutely. There's more than we can cover in the time that I promised you we would take, but I did want to point to something that I've been noticing for years that the ACC and other meetings have worked on, but that is the sort of inclusion and diversity piece. It's very palpable that the ACC is working on that. It's interesting to see that it hasn't necessarily completely trickled down to, or perhaps up to, the presenters of some of those big trials. Any comments on that? Sure, that's, you know, I was pleased this year that we at least had two female um, presenters in the late breakers. And certainly we had, we had, uh, we had diversity by gender in every single session. But I do think that it is more difficult because much of that is out of the control of the meeting planners. So really that message needs to be heard loud and clear by the trialists when they submit these trials. And I think that you will see future statements when people submit their science for consideration. I think there's a very good chance that you will see professional organizations begin to provide some guidance in terms of the importance and role of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious for those of us sitting in the audience, you can see which research teams have prioritized allowing a perhaps more junior colleague to present in those massive sessions versus some of the faces we've been seeing for quite a few years. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not something you can hide if, if you've made the choice to not sort of pass the torch to do that. So yeah, I thought I'd raise it here because it does seem to me there's a great opportunity. It's definitely on the radar of meeting planners. Uh, and hopefully it will become even increasingly on the radar of trialists. About Well, hopefully we'll be back at ACC in person next year. We're all hoping that this is the trend, that, that, that we will be able to move past um, COVID-19 in a way that allows us to see our colleagues in person. And for me as a journalist to, to meet some of the people like you that I get to talk to face to face. But there are lessons here too for what we have learned from having to do this from home. What would you like to see in terms of future meetings and how much should we incorporate the ability to have an international audience tune in who perhaps can't travel with the, the benefits of getting to see everyone face to face? How do we juggle that? Well, I do think that the ACC 22 demonstrated the value of a hybrid meeting in the sense that the ability of our international faculty to participate remotely, but live and in real time was so incredibly uh, valuable. On the other hand, you know, we also have to have to remember for meeting planners, the cost of uh, also recording all of the sessions and having cameras there for live feed. So a virtual component and then a remote component for faculty as well as a live in-person component adds a lot of complexity and a lot of uh, expense to the meeting. And I think over time we'll have to evaluate how much value, how many people really do sit down and watch it live and in real time during the three days of the meeting, and how many people actually come back and do an on-demand version. And that may guide us in terms of how much needs to be live streamed versus how much just needs to be captured uh, so that participants can review it at their leisure. And only time will tell. I do not have the answer. Well, I certainly felt for, for my part, being able to even get that sort of 
sense of the room's reaction in a way that you can't when you're watching it on demand or even live, you know, how much are people just, um, you know, checking their social media feeds versus being glued to what the presenters were saying. I think it, there's something really quite tangible about it that I appreciated, but I also liked being able to sit in my pajama pants at other meetings and um, try to watch the main sessions that way. So I'll have to find a balance personally. Anyhow. <laughs> I won't take more of your time, but I really appreciate you um, reminding us of some of the highlights. And I certainly look forward to seeing you at a meeting again sometime soon. Thank you so much for highlighting ACC 22. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it for the April edition of Heart Sounds. Heading into May, members of the TCTMD news team will have more meeting coverage for you, all going to plan. Later this week, Todd Neal heads to San Francisco to the Heart Rhythm Society meeting. Mid-month, Laura McEwen will be on the ground in Atlanta for Sky. Then I myself, along with Caitlin Cox, Yael Maxwell, and Michael O'Reardon, will be heading over the pond to EuroPCR, the ESC Heart Failure meeting, and the European Atherosclerosis Society Congress. All of this travel still feels a tad foreign, pun intended, but I'm hopeful I'll get to see some European friends and colleagues in the weeks to come. If you are presenting science at any of these upcoming meetings that you think TCTMD should know about, drop me a line via my bio on tctmd.com, or you can find me on Twitter as ShellyWood2. There is much more from the past month to check out on TCTMD, of course. During ACC, our senior clinical editor, Mamas Mamas, recorded a wide range of studio interviews on hot topics and trials. Yael Maxwell sat down with some early career cardiologists to hear about mentorship and in-person learning. I myself connected with Shelley Ziroth and Nazari and Ibrahim on camera to get their take on some heart failure highlights, including the new ACC AHA heart failure guidelines. You can find all those conversations under the video tab on TCTMD. If you're looking for a longer read, Yael happened to notice several people posting on Twitter that they'd had to help out with in-flight emergencies on their trips home from ACC. That led to a great feature story about the kinds of resources available to physicians who find themselves being called upon to help with what might prove to be a cardiac emergency on a flight. Find Yael's feature on the homepage of tctmd.com. Thank you to my whole crew for their hard work at ACC and beyond, as well as the content and multimedia teams at the Cardiovascular Research Foundation who work behind the scenes to make us look and sound presentable. And thanks all of you as well for tuning into Heart Sounds on TCTMD. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.